For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm solid to the crack. Never change me and my son the rain. It gets wet when we hang. I'm solid. Could touch the blue part of the flame. The blue part of the flame. I just want to roll with those in the bottom. The MLB playoffs edition of your third favorite sports comedy podcast. Number two is popping off with Greg Popovich. Number one, of course, is the off-color football podcast hosted by everyone the New York Giants signed this offseason, New Heist. I'm your host, Adam Weiderman. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and resting at home with the Atlanta Braves and practicing their trash talk. Yeah, Attaboy's good, I guess. Gee whiz could work. Hey, hey, do you guys have any, like, Lenny Bruce type stuff, like post-1950s roasts? Joining us today to talk MLB playoffs are Hall of Fame catcher Pudge Rodriguez, courtesy of Saks Underwear, and three-time All-Star Curtis Granderson. But first, let's give the NFL people what they want. Quit whining. Yeah, I hear you. With a quick trip through the headlines. The 1972 Miami Dolphins popped champagne on Sunday in honor of remembering their names and jobs. Both the 5-0 and Niners and Eagles suffered their first losses of the season, leaving no remaining undefeated teams. Hey, not undefeated! That's what we are too, said Mac Jones. This is the first time in Jets franchise history that they've defeated Philadelphia, but does it count if both fan bases have already blacked out and forgotten? 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey was injured on Sunday against the Browns in Cleveland with a, quote, oblique issue. That's cute, said Nick Chubb, pulling a bag of ligaments out of a freezer. After a 1-5 start in New England, you really have to question whether Bill Belichick has lost it. Unless it is an NFL game, in which case, no question at all, he, uh, he lost it. Most analysts are too afraid to say it, but at this point, it's fair to be concerned about whether Matt Patricia is wearing Bill O'Brien like a skin suit from Men in Black. Aaron Rodgers was spotted throwing just 34 days after his Achilles tear. Or at least, that's how long the liberal media wants you to think it's been. All a matter of perception. Think about who's feeding you the narrative. It's clocks. Rodgers is clearly hoping to make it back by the end of the season. What can I say? This guy's immunized against giving up. At this point, Rodgers is hoping for a medical miracle. So he can turn it down and go with a way more annoying alternative. Eh, thanks for the surgery, but I'm going with shark fin juice. Okay. It came out this week that Pat McAfee pays both Aaron Rodgers and Nick Saban for the opportunity to interview them. In case you were worried about the journalistic integrity of a guy who goes on national television with a wife beater and a head full of salmon grease. McAfee's not on the level? My word, I almost spat out my testosterone powder. The New York Giants lost to the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday Night Football, but they kept it close, which is also how Brian Dable comforts his belt after Thanksgiving. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers debuted their creamsicle uniforms on Sunday. They were defeated by the Lions, who debuted their throwback 1957 good offense. The NFL has reportedly discussed the possibility of playing a Super Bowl in London, and the Premier League has discussed the possibility of adding one owner from London. 
In addition to a London Super Bowl, Roger Goodell is eyeing moving the Pro Bowl to Siberia and will sign a 10-year lease to bring the AFC Championship game to Arrowhead, contingent on Taylor Swift. Max Scherzer has been added to the Rangers roster for the ALCS against Houston. Many thought he wouldn't make it back from injury in time, but Scherzer saw it differently colored eyes. And the MLB playoff format has come under fire this week because the Atlanta Braves choked. The league's 100-win teams lost all three of their first-round series, but only one of them lost to a grown man wearing beer-filled overalls. And on that note, here are two interviews with MLB legends to talk us through the postseason so far. First up, Baseball Hall of Famer, former Rangers superstar, and ex-Marlins world champion Pudge Rodriguez, courtesy of Saks. Here on the Baseball Insiders with Hall of Famer, Texas Rangers legend, Marlins World Series champion, catcher Pudge Rodriguez. And Pudge, you are here on behalf of your partnership with Saks and the algorithm you are introducing this October. I would love if you could tell me more about all that. Well, you know, the algorithm is obviously is, uh, is an idea that we did, uh, you know, with Saks, obviously, it's a, it's a fun commercial. Obviously, we're going to talk about stacks, about that, talk about numbers comparison uh and, and and it's fun it's a lot of it's a lot of things that we the 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 that we did during the during the commercial but basically the the, the important part is just the 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 sacks on the world so obviously is a is a it's a great uh obviously it's a great fit it's a great uh commercial obviously it's fun and basically the what we help in the testicle cancer foundation is is very important and and I think uh it's very important to know how important to go and check uh uh obviously and that's the reason that we that, that we put in this uh promotion during the during the World series because obviously it's a, it's a cure obviously it's uh it's a cancer that you can get it early but obviously you can get cure uh, uh doing it and check and and, and pay attention. So uh, the underwear is is make for that. Obviously, there's a area right there. Then then then, then you're gonna be uh, is helping uh, is helping this area just to be more comfortable. And basically, the underwears are very comfortable as well. Amazing. Well, it's certainly a, a fun product, but definitely you're right, a a, a much better cause. So uh, everybody certainly pay attention to Saks and, and the algorithm and uh, and this amazing promotion during the World Series and help raise awareness and, and money for testicular cancer research and treatment. Um, now, Pudge, we are on the verge of the World Series. Balls, remember, playing with balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, nobody can forget that. Uh, <laughs> We are uh, we are right on the verge of the World Series, and uh, you know I I will knock on wood. I refuse to jinx anybody, but your uh, your Texas Rangers currently hold a lead on the Houston Astros, um, and Bruce Bochy has brought so much to this Rangers team, very evidently in remaking them year over year. Uh, what was your reaction like when he was hired, and how do you think he's helping them to this advantage over Houston? Well, great, uh, great news for us as an organization, having a having a, a, a future Hall of Famer as a, uh, as a manager with a lot of you know a lot of World Series uh, champs and 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 all the playoff and and, and all the years uh, winning ball games, and and I think that that was that's 
what we're looking in the off season, this past off season to to start with a mat with a with a manager like that with uh with a lot of records, a lot of degree, and and basically bringing Mike Maddox back into our pitching uh coaching uh uh, uh situation is is make us uh better. I know that that we are playing good. We our players are doing a great job uh since spring training all the way into yesterday's game. But we have to give a lot of credit to the whole coaching staff and the whole from office. Uh, they're doing a great job. Uh, Chris Young is doing a great job in the offseason, uh, signing great players, uh, uh, Montgomery, uh, uh, Ibaldi. I mean, you name you name, and then uh, Scherzer, bringing Scherzer uh, later on in the, in the year. And that tells you that we want to win. You know, we want to we want to win the World Series this year, not next year. So we want to win now. And so that's what we're playing really good. You know, when you have a lineup like that, when you have a, a, a position players on the field that make plays for this great starting rotation and, and great bullpen, you're going to win a lot of games. How would you compare the Rangers offenses that you were a part of to this team? Where would Where would you and Juan Gonzalez hit in this lineup? Well, uh, it reminds me a lot about the the offense that we had back in those days. Obviously, we have a great, great hitters from first to nine, and that's what I see in this in this lineup: great hitters from first to nine. Uh, you know, we we have uh, we have a number nine hitter right now in our team that basically he did a great job in these two these two last game and, you know, hit a home run, uh, you know, hitting in the clutch and as a, as a nine hitter. And so when you have a, a, a nine hitter, you know, producing uh, for the team, especially in this kind of game, that tells you how strong of the lineup we have. And what can you say about the middle lineup? I mean, it's, it's, it's for me, if I'm a catching, if I'm facing the Rangers, I don't know what to do, to be honest. To be honest with you, uh, they're not. They don't have any holes. They're very aggressive, selective, aggressive, and they don't. They don't miss too many pitches neither. I guess if you're back there, you just hope they try to steal on you. You're like, I can get him this way. I don't know if I can call a game, but I can get him this way. Well, yeah, that's 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 important to mention too. The the running game this year is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the game. The way they're playing right now, I mean, you, you see guys that almost stole 100 bases this year. I mean, when was the last time you see a, a, a base runner steal almost a, uh, almost 100 bases? That's back when Ricky Henderson was stealing 100 bases. So I think I think what, you, what we see in today's game is running the bases more aggressive, uh, steal more. A being scoring position quickly, obviously, and I think that's one of the one of the reasons that we that we in in this in this situation that we are that we are in because we are not only hitting the ball, so we're running the bases, we we're running from first to third a lot in base hits, and that's how you win games. I mean, that's those are the little the little things in the game. That nobody pay attention to, but when you see guys in in, in first base, they run from first to third 
on a base hit, you're going to win games like that. Yeah, I was, I'm glad you mentioned the rule changes because I wanted to get your take on, uh, you know, obviously a lot more is coming too. And a lot of it involves the catching position. You know, we're hearing about robot umpires. We're hearing about things that are going to change the game. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that potential impact to umpiring in the strike zone? Well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the, with the game that baseball is being played today. Uh, I think that 22nd clock is great. For me, I think it's, it's, it makes the game faster. Let's think about as a, as a pitcher and as a hitter. Uh, I think the you know the the well, the bases you know the bigger bases for me it doesn't do much for me uh, because they're still you know pretty uh, pretty big bases anyway. I don't think uh, I don't think that uh, robot uh, umpire behind the play is, I mean, is not going to happen to me. I think is 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 I think with the squadron that we see on TV, I think that's that's plenty. I'm a big believer of having a human being behind the play calling balls and strikes instead of the robot or, or a computer. There's still going to be an umpire behind calling balls and strike, but it's going to be what, what they're saying is that he's going to have a, a, a microphone in the ear and then they're going to call balls and strikes. Uh, but anyway, I don't know what baseball is going to go as far as that. I think uh, uh, I like the way baseball is being played today with the with the uh, replays and and throwing, not throwing over too many times, uh, stealing bases. Uh, I think this is, is a good baseball uh, to watch right now. The baseball now is incredible, uh, but so is the baseball when you played. We're coming up in just a couple of days now on the, the 20th anniversary of your World Series run in Miami and the Steve Bartman game, the heartbreaker in Chicago. <laughs> I would love to know from your perspective on the Marlins and in that dugout, what are your memories from that game? And when did you know, when did you sort of feel that the Marlins had a chance to make that incredible comeback? Basically, we we didn't think about that. We we was the underdog all all playoff uh all playoff run. And basically we we play with nothing to lose. And I think when you play with nothing to lose, guess what's happening? You win. You win everything. Um, for us, nothing, nothing that came to our, our, our head as far as uh, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that. I think the the key that we did that year was coming into the ballpark ready to play, ready to play twenty seven outs, nine innings, and play the play as hard as we can, and and keep doing what we're doing because obviously, I think what what we did good was that we play that we play a lot into almost the end of the season because we win the wall card and and we had to play pretty much into the last week or two of the season compared to these other playoff teams that they win way before and all these regular players has a lot of day off. And I think that uh, that hurts the Giants, that hurts a little bit the, the, the Cubs offensively. But... Uh, but as far as that year, uh, it was an unbelievable year. Starting spring training, uh, the only player the the Marlins signed that year was me, uh, and then my job was to understand 
the whole pitching staff, the whole rotation, starting rotation, which is that was it was the same rotation than the year before that they they lost ninety five games, and and for me it was more conversation, you know, question and answers with the players, with the, the starting pitchers and the and 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 the bullpen guys and men spring training to know me a little bit. How I like to work behind the plate. How do you want to work with me uh, during the game? And we 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 got that really quick. And we started the season. We didn't start it well. First half for us was no good, and then we pick it up. In the second half, you know, win the wild card, went to play the Giants, beat them in four uh, with the good play that I'm making the last out in in Miami. And then we we went and played the cops and facing Mark Pryor and Kelly Wood and beat and beat one of them uh in, in the first or second game. I don't know if I remember that. That was big for us. And 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 the fan, um, I don't think uh, I don't think he did nothing for us. I don't think that wasn't that wasn't the reason that the cops lost this series. I think for me, the reason that the cop lost was the next pitch, the ground ball to shortstop to Gonzalez that went through through his legs and and scored two runs. And then Morakai came in and cleaned the bases with, with a double with bases loaded. I think that was the key for us. And I think that's the reason that, that I think the Cup lost that series just because of that play. I totally agree with you. Uh, that performance, that series, one of the many reasons that you're in Cooperstown. I've got one more question for you. Uh, so since getting into the Hall of Fame, which Hall of Famers have you gotten closer to since being inducted? And and who do you remember talking to on the day that you gave your speech? Well, uh, I got close to all of them. Obviously, we when when you become a Hall of Famer, is is a community. Uh, is you you become a club, kind of like a, a membership. Let's say let's say it like that, and. And we have to communicate, obviously, for for the guys that uh, the guys that uh, that we think they should be in the Hall of Fame. When they pass ten years, we all getting emails from everybody and asking us what we think about this. And then we vote. It's kind of like you know we we have like a board uh, in in the in 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 Cooperstown also as a player. But basically, when every July, when we we induct the uh, player into Cooperstown, we all there and have a great time. Uh, you know, spend time in the hotel. We all sit uh, in different places. But the beautiful part about being in being in Cooperstown and being in that hotel that the hotel is just for us. So every every whoever you see in the lobby or in the pool or in the balcony is a hall of famer. So it's, it's fun just to, just to be there for that week. Well, Pudge, thank you so much for talking to me today and uh, everybody check out Sachs for the incredible work that Pudge did and the work that they're doing for testicular cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Algorithm, go Sachs. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Pudge Rodriguez, Pudge and the Rangers keep on rolling. So keep track of that ball rhythm and support testicular cancer research in the process with Sachs. And now Curtis Granderson, the nicest man in baseball and current TBS pre and post game host, 
gave us insight into the rest versus rust argument in the playoffs let us know which eliminated playoff team whose failure surprised him most and recounted the time he got told yankees suck the hardest and loudest curtis joined us to spread the word on his chicago baseball and educational academy which he founded well curtis granderson thank you so much for joining us here on the baseball insiders and you are here to talk about the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy, which you started. Uh, so tell us more about how you began the program, how it's growing, and what it represents to you. Home is Chicago for me. It's so interesting. You know, a lot of people see me in Chicago. What are you doing here? I go, this is my home. And I guess since I spent so much time in New York and Detroit, that's where a lot of people assume I'm from. But I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago. I still live in Chicago. And I made a large donation to get the stadium built there, not only for the university, but for the community. And with that being for the community, we created the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy, which is home to about 60 different communities in the Chicagoland area. Kids ages 8 to 18 get to practice, play, and train baseball, and we've just recently added softball all year round. And you all know it. If you're from Milwaukee or from the Midwest or from Chicago or from Detroit or from New York, any of those places that I've mentioned and also played in, once the winter comes, it gets cold. So the question has to be, well, where do these kids play once it gets cold? We also have the indoor facility as well. So these kids get a chance to keep going all year long. And it's not just baseball. We rolled out an umpire training camp. We've had coaches clinics and we have a lot more things coming here soon. And you mentioned, uh, I, I've read that you, you know, another focus of the Academy is, is making sure that, you know, you're focused on education as well, using baseball to help benefit these young athletes, you know, helping them learn, helping them learn in other facets of their life. I would love to hear more from you on sort of how you believe baseball could positively influence, you know, that sort of productive education for young people, not just young players. I come from an educational background. Both my parents taught in the Chicago public school system. My sister currently teaches at the university level. She's a teacher at Jackson State University in Mississippi. And, and I myself, at the time while I was playing Major League Baseball, I was one of a handful of players with a college degree. So I knew the importance of education, not only for just making you a better student and a better student athlete, but just for providing more opportunities as you continue to get older and want to do whatever the future holds for you. Because no matter what, I always tell kids, it doesn't matter if you love video games, you love music, you love movies, you love food, you love teaching, you have to educate yourself on how to be able to do it. Now, it may not always be in the traditional sense with reading, writing, and arithmetic, but you have to learn how to be able to do it. Same thing with baseball, same thing with sports. We don't all just roll out on the field and know how to hit the ball, how to catch the ball, how to steal the bases, know where everything is at. We have to learn those rules. We have to practice it. We have to train it. Just like studying, we have to get ourselves ready for the quiz, ready for the game, ready for the test, ready for the tournament. So all of it overlaps. So we use baseball and I make a lot of analogies while we're out there and the kids and the parents look at it and go, oh, yeah, that is about the same thing. Because if you look at the course of the Major League Baseball season, it's 162 games over the course of 180 days. Well, if you look at the academic school calendar, it's about 180 days. So a lot of it, again, just goes hand in hand. So we always try to make those relationships so that kids understand that not only am I playing sport, I can apply a lot of this to my academics, whether it be in the classroom, whether it be in whatever it is I'm trying to study and learn and just understand a little bit more about. Yeah, and, and, and shifting gears uh, to the MLB postseason now, 
You've played in a lot of different environments. I'm curious from your perspective, what has been the most hostile environment that you've played in? And also, what do you think it would be like playing in Philadelphia right now? <laughs> so it's interesting. You talk about Philadelphia and I'm watching those series unfold as we're covering the games on TBS and you can sense the energy in that crowd. Unfortunately, every time I played in Philadelphia, that energy wasn't there because the team wasn't a playoff team. You know, I was my first time there was in 2007. So they were coming for a playoff. I was with the Detroit Tigers, but it wasn't there yet. And then the most recent times I was with the Mets. And we were on top of the division at that time. So it didn't necessarily get that sense that I'm seeing on TV. I didn't get the batteries thrown at me like I had heard about. I didn't get the pennies thrown at me, but I had heard all about that. And I think that may be what's happening now because that place looks insane. Now, for me, throughout the course of my playoff experience, probably the most interesting, I would say, was when I was with the Yankees and we went to play the Texas Rangers. I think that was in 2010 or 11. We get on the field for the anthems. I think it's game three of the series. So they introduce us all. We're all out there. They got the flyover over the stadium, the big flag on the field. Everybody's all patriotic. And they finish the national anthem with the last couple words with, and the home of the brave crowd goes nuts. Then they just break out into Yankee suck, Yankee suck. 50,000 people going crazy. So that, that was kind of interesting because I had never seen it like that. Usually the cheers are for the home team, not against the visiting team, at least to start the game, because right now it's 0-0. So for me, it was probably that one. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Yankee fan. People love to tell us we suck now. I remember at the I was at the 2012 All-Star game that you played in and the crowd at that game in KC, like they really let you guys have it. That was one round. I'll never forget how much they told you you sucked. Uh, and then if you remember the home run derby, oh so yeah, Robinson Cano's hitting in the home run derby and everybody's upset that Billy Butler for the Kansas City Royals didn't get in the derby. But keep in mind, Robinson Cano had won the home run derby the year before in Arizona and they're booing him. He's swinging and missing. He's popping up. And I was like, ooh, this is not looking very good right now. I was hoping if we could replay it back then because Billy Butler was on the all-star team. If we could have done it, this is a woulda, coulda, shoulda. As Cano is like 0 for 3, 0 for 4, he should have called time, had Billy Butler come in almost like a pinch hitter in the home run derby, and the place would have went nuts, and he would have been a fan favorite. But again, this is a woulda, coulda, shoulda moment, and uh, it didn't go the way that everybody anticipated. Yeah, I was sitting in the upper deck in a Cano shirt, and halfway through, I was like, I wanted to get pinch hit for. I wanted to get out of there. Um, it, it, we're talking a lot about uh, struggles this postseason, which is a tough narrative because We've got great series. You know, the Diamondbacks and Phillies look poised for a great. The Rangers and Astros are obviously um great start to that series, but still a lot of conversation about the 100-win teams and the top seeds that we lost. Um, do you think it is a format issue, or do you just think it's sort of a, hey, you know, this is the playoffs, it's a short series, you got to be ready for it? Yeah, I'll break it down a couple different ways. In 2006, when I was with the Detroit Tigers, we had beat the Yankees in the division series nobody expected us to do that we sweep oakland in the championship series and then we get six days off we roll into the play or go into the world series against the st louis cardinals a team we had swept earlier in that year and we couldn't swing a bat to save our lives and keep in mind we had hitters on our team we had maglia Ordonez, we had pudge rodriguez hall of fame we had placido polanco our offense was rolling on all cylinders in those previous two rounds we get to the world series and we couldn't do anything offensively and I remember that going, I, I can't remember how to hit. 
these layoffs are killing me. Now let's fast forward. We've seen it happen on a number of different ways with Colorado swept and then had to wait before they played Boston in the World Series. Now you're watching it happen again this year. Is it a format issue? It's hard to pinpoint exactly, but when you look at the schedule for the first round of the playoffs, the division series, it's unlike any other time throughout the course of the season. You're one of those 101 teams. Your last game was on Sunday. Your first game is on Saturday. That's the first thing. The second thing is you were off again on Sunday. And if you were the National League, you played Monday, then you were off again on Tuesday. So in a matter of about a week and eight, you know, two or three more days, you've only played two games. There's no other time throughout the course of the season where it's like that. Even during the All-Star break, which is four days off, everybody's off for those four days. You're the only teams that are off this amount of many times during that time. And everyone goes, is it real? It's only real for the offense. People talk about from a golf standpoint, people either choose to golf or they don't choose to golf because of the time commitment. You have to keep practicing that swing. You got to keep practicing all the different clubs, all those different parts of the field. And remember, that ball is not even moving. So now you think about a baseball swing. You still have to keep the swing. You got to keep the fine skills, you know, the, the motor skills. Plus the ball's moving. Plus you have people yelling at you and screaming at you. The speed is changing, all these different things. So when you haven't picked up that bat in a little bit of time, it can be a little weird to kind of get back into the rhythm and get it back going. So format-wise, one of the things I would love to see is go back to the one-game wild card, do that on Tuesday. Then you start the division series on Thursday. So now those teams have only sat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're talking three days. And then you and make that a seven-game series. So you still get just as many games as you would for – the playoffs. Plus, if you start that series on Thursday, game two would be Friday. We would already be ahead of where the division series was this year. So those would be some of the things I'd like to change you know, just to continue to get those best teams an opportunity to stay hot. I think they sat, they got cold, and it's hard to warm back up in baseball when it's the most hostile time of the year. Yeah. And also, like as a follow-up to that, I'm curious, is there a way throughout like that week off where you're able to stay ready? Is there a way to simulate game action or is it just, is it, is it those game reps that just mean everything? Yeah. You try your best to do it. And I think even snicker for the brave said, you know, we did everything that we could have done. We scrimmaged, we inner squad, we had fans in the stands. You even have some of the teams will bring up some of their players from the minor leagues that have different arms, different people to look at and you add music in the stands. There's nothing like it when you get a chance to play in against an opponent if you've ever played any sport, no matter what sport it is, practice is fun up to a point. Eventually, you want to play somebody else. We can scrimmage as much as we want. We can do drills against each other as much as we want. But there's just that lack of intensity that can't be replicated until you put another team out there in another jersey who's trying to beat you in an inner squad in a scrimmage. I know you, we went to school together. We just had lunch together. We're hanging out. We're probably going to go to dinner together afterwards. Unless you and I have gotten into an altercation, and even at that point, we're probably separated from each other on the course of the practice or the scrimmage, so we're not even really dealing with each other, you can't emulate that intensity. So unless the, the, probably the next best thing would be, hey, let's find a team in the area. Let's just say it's Atlanta and the Braves, you know, have the off day. Maybe they call up Georgia State Baseball and say, hey, would you like to go ahead and do a scrimmage kind of like they do in spring training? 
but it's still not the exact same thing until you actually get that crowd in there and you get people with something on the line that they're really fighting for. And, and with that being said, was there any of these playoff teams, the early exits that surprised you more than any other? I would probably say the Baltimore one. That's probably the one that really jumps out at me because that crowd I felt like was the most energetic out of the other different crowds of the, the teams that lost with Atlanta and LA. You could sense that they hadn't been there in a long time. That crowd is hungry for it. And again, this isn't taking anything away from Atlanta and LA, but when it's your first time being there in a very long time, it's just a different sense in the crowd. So they had it, they had it rolling, they had it going and they just couldn't get that offense going the way they wanted to. Now they did score some runs. They did hit the ball out of the ballpark a couple of times. There were a couple miscues there towards the end of, I think, the first of the second game. You had the caught stealing to end the game with the tying run at the, or the winning run, I think, was at the plate. The tying run was at the plate, I think it was. Tying run was at the plate. So you had that kind of happen in the situation there. So just a couple little miscues. And for that team to have rolled through the American League East, where you had three teams that made it to the playoffs, that was probably the most surprising one for me to see them get bounced out as early as they did. Yeah, a lot of great home field advantages, but that's the only one with a guy with a super soaker. So I feel you. I do feel like that's probably the the number one. Um, that uh, the reason the Orioles are gone is because the Texas Rangers kind of went supernova, uh, led by Evan Carter, who I think is a breakout rookie who a lot of people maybe didn't know even before October began. Uh, what makes him such an incredible player, so well suited for October? And Robert and I have been trying to figure this out, like comps for evan carter like what who does he remind us of who does he remind you of from your era well i'm looking at it you know a couple ways i think you know you have a combination of a young player mixed in with a veteran manager and you literally are marrying the two where you have this new style of baseball with all the analytics are focused and a kid that's coming up that way that's all they've known but then you still have to add in what has worked historically. And that's Bruce Boshi. You know, he's got three championships. He's played at the highest level, but he also has that eye test. He can see when a player has it. He can see when a player doesn't have it. Analytics are hard to go ahead and always accurately give you that. But years of experience, that's why you look at the last four remaining managers that are in it all have a ton of years of experience in this game and they've been able to work in combination with the new way of looking at how to go ahead and put together a baseball team and i think there's something to it why those teams are so together but if you're going to make the comps uh, of, of this player that is always a challenging one because i hate to put a comp on there and then when it never matches up go ah oh, you know that player came up short so let's for the first time let's comp him to himself Let's just say, you know, he is the one of one. The first time we've seen a player go out there and do something like that, that is in his, his realm, because and I'll get it from a baseball standpoint. You always have the LeBron and Michael Jordan comparison. And my question is why? You know, these two players are completely different. LeBron is LeBron. Michael is Michael. Like, why are we trying to compare them? I know it's fun for it, but you're never going to be able to do it. They're always going to be different because they played in different areas. They played against different teams and just physically they're different individuals. So. Let's just say he is a one of one, the unicorn to start 2023 playoffs. And, and, and leading up into that, too, you mentioned all the great managers that are currently in the playoffs. And you briefly played with Craig Council or you played under Craig Council in Milwaukee. And I'm curious from your end, what makes him such a good manager and how big of a blow would it be for the Brewers if he ended up leaving? Well, change 
is always a good thing. Not saying that you need to have change, but if it does happen, it's not the end of the world. You know, he won't be the first manager. He won't be the last manager, the manager, the, the Brewers. However, you know, he has been able to do a lot of things to keep that team very loose and very relaxed. And it's one of those situations, at least for the time when I was there in 2018, you go into Chicago and everyone's anticipating that the Cubs are going to go ahead and run away with it, or historically that the Cardinals are going to always run away with it. But then there's this Milwaukee team. There's this Brewers team where you have a whole state behind them up in Wisconsin. They don't always get the hype. They don't always get the talk, but they're always in it, at least for the last six seasons. They are always in it. They always have a competitive team. They're going to pitch and that ballpark is so hitter friendly that when you get players and they get hot like Yelich did in 2018, you get to see things that you never see where a player just goes off and hits two and hits three and hits four and keeps hitting him. Once you match that up with the pitching staff that you have, you know you can compete with anybody at any time. Now, this year, they ran up against a tough Arizona team in the postseason who came in and played well. But in both of those games, Milwaukee was up. So they had a chance to go ahead and win that series and be ahead in that series. They just weren't able to hold it against a very pesky and aggressive team that just didn't continue to didn't stop, you know, even though they got down. But Council's been a great manager over there. Uh, the players love playing for him. He still mixes again, you know, having played not so long ago. He also still looks like a player from the way he keeps himself in shape. He looks like he can go out there and, and, and go ahead and do it. And I think a lot of that resonates with that staff over there and the fan base. You know, it's one of the uh, really cool fan bases up there. So I really enjoyed my time playing there. And I know those fans enjoy having him manage that team. And, and one of the teams that he's been connected to, if he does leave Milwaukee, is, is the Mets. And from your end, what do you think of the direction of the Mets and how they ended up spending what felt like a billion dollars this past offseason? Well, I, I have nothing wrong with them teams going out there to spend. You know, you you look and, and see what you think might happen. It's no different than the draft. You draft a player and you give that player a ton of money, hoping that that player is going to be exactly what you need. But it may or may not always work out. You know, we've seen every number one pick hasn't always been the best pick in that draft. However, when you have a team that's looking to to build something and continue to keep it going and put together a team that's going to compete in the NL East and have a chance to be a World Series contender, you need a combination of spending, drafting well, developing, possibly some good trades. So even though they've spent a lot in 2023 and people are looking at it as, okay, it didn't necessarily work out, 2023 is not over. The winter meetings could be a very exciting place for the, the New York Mets, not only from a potential manager scenario like you're talking about is Craig Council could possibly, you know, be a, a suitor to go over there. But, you know, I was a part of one of the biggest trades that happened during the winter meetings. So stuff like that happens where you can go ahead and completely revamp your team by just moving a couple of pieces without having to keep spending. But then, of course, there's still free agency that is hot and rolling and, and during the winter meeting. So you could look at a big trade plus a free agent spend plus a manager hire and you go, wow, they have really made waves and made some moves to get the hype and excitement back ready for 2024. So, you know, I wouldn't put anything past it. You know, Steve Cohen has definitely showed that I'm going to try my best to get this club in the way that I want it to be, because it always takes some time to look at it from a college sports standpoint. Usually when you bring in a new head coach for a college team, they give you about three years to get things going the way that you want to. So Steve Cohen's technically still on pace to get it exactly where he wants it to because the Mets were a certain way before he got there. He's trying to get it the way that he wants it. 
that uh, the names in your winter meetings trade, like looking back on that, it's absolutely insane. Max Scherzer changed hands in that trade, right? Austin Jackson and yeah, the all-star team. Um, and yeah. even Evan Jackson, you know, I mean, there were so many of us that got traded in 2009 that were still playing almost 10 years later. So I think that was the cool part. And Max Scherzer is going to be pitching in game three, you know. So in 2023, so 14 years later, a trade happens and you still have a player that's still around. In it. And so uh, I think it's one of those trades that uh, is very unique that it happened and it worked for everybody that, that got a chance to be a part of it. That trade sent you to the Yankees. You then played for the Mets. And on your way into playing for the Mets, you said at your press conference that people told you real New Yorkers are Mets fans or like, you know, the, the crowd is maybe real New Yorkers. Um, on your way out after playing for both franchises, how would you assess that comment? Like, how are the different fan bases? So, you know, literally right before I got traded, I had a couple of friends that were from New York, born and raised in New York. And as they were talking about the Mets, this is before I was even rumored to be signed with them or anything like that. They just said, you know, true New Yorkers are Mets fans. And I said, why is that? They go, you know, if you're from here and you've been around it and you are a Mets fan, like you are a true New Yorker. That's where I got it from. Now, having played for four years for the Yankees and four years for the Mets, the one thing that I really noticed that kind of solidified that statement as being pretty accurate is I remember meeting a lot of people that were visiting New York for the first time and they would say hey look I bought a New York hat I go no that's a Yankee hat they go oh well it has the NY on it that's what I'm supposed to do it's like I get off the plane I get on the subway I get me a slice of pizza and I buy me a New York hat now that speaks volume to what the New York Yankees organization has done historically they're arguably the most recognizable baseball team in the world I've got a chance to promote baseball in other countries, places where baseball is not very popular. And one thing that always comes up, go, I don't follow baseball, but aren't the Yankees a team? So you have that side of it, right? Everyone knows of the Yankees, but that doesn't mean you're a fan of the Yankees. That just means you know them. You've seen them in movies. You've seen them in shows. Now, if you are a Mets fan, you didn't just find out about the Mets. You are a fan. Your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather is got you wearing blue and orange. That didn't just happen. You didn't get off the subway and get off the train flying into LaGuardia or JFK going, you know what? I'm going to pick up a Mets hat. That just doesn't happen. So from that standpoint of it, if you are a Mets fan, yes, I agree that that's a true New Yorker. Now, if you are a Yankee fan, you could be from all over the world because it is one of the most popular fan bases it's one of the most popular teams to have ever played this game so I think it's a mix of those two things and I will say this you know everyone asks which stadium city field or Yankee stadium is louder I'll say that Yankees I'm sorry city field if they are cheering you because again it doesn't always happen and in 2015 it was happening for us that place was rocking however when they are booing you it is one of the loudest places also. So you get a mixture of both sides of it. And uh, it was definitely fun to play on both of it. My only regret looking back on it was I wish I didn't buy, I wish I would have bought something there. I spent almost eight years of my life in New York and I should have owned some property, but I was just renting the whole time because I didn't know I would be there that long. Well, there's still time to come back, uh, but you are here, Curtis Granderson, on behalf of the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy. We thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we sign off, anything else fans need to know about the Academy, any upcoming events, and, and where should they follow you? We have our fall tournament, or I'm sorry, our fall 
training camp going on right now. It just kicked off on uh, yesterday, Monday night. We have three weeks of that rolling up. We'll have another umpire training camp going on. But for all the kids that are in the area, if you happen to be in Chicago, you know, looking to get some high level instruction from division one coaches, some of the best in baseball, definitely follow us. CBEA. UIC.org. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Definitely take a look at us and see what we got going on in my hometown of Chicago. Curtis, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck throughout the rest of the postseason uh, dealing with Pedro Martinez. Uh, good luck with that. He keeps it loose and keeps it relaxed. The good thing is I never got to face him, so we don't have that rivalry. But I always wished I would have got a chance to face Pedro because he always looked like he was going to throw at you. But he's a big, soft teddy bear when you get him outside of baseball, but not on that mound. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. That's Curtis Granderson. If you want to learn more about the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy, go to cbeauic.org. And now a final word in defense of the baseball writer. The Atlanta Braves, of course, lost to the Phillies in four games last week after Braves infielder Orlando Arcia baited Bryce Harper into pummeling two home runs in game three. Arcia yelled, attaboy Harper, in a mocking tone in the locker room after game two, and this does bring up another journalistic integrity question. Should a player who's as big a baby as Arcia be exposed to the media at all? It doesn't seem fair that a player and team with the mental fortitude of a kindergarten class should be held to the same standards as adult men. But in the wake of the incident, many people actually turned on the reporter for breaking the sanctity of the clubhouse by, I hope you're sitting down for this, reporting. Former Dodgers sideline reporter Alana Rizzo called the reporter who broke the Arcia news, quote, a jack-off blogger. And that is completely uncalled for. She did it on MLB Network. Most jack-off blogs suffered massive layoffs during the pandemic, and those jobs just aren't available anymore. Jacker is gone, touch base, shuttered, and at Rub One, the layoffs touched almost 80% of staff. Then they touched 80% of staff a little faster, then a little faster than that for about two minutes. So to joke about a dying industry is beyond inappropriate. Because without jack-off blogs, what are college students gonna write about? Sports? We're losing the cream of the crop, the cream of the crop. Bottom line to all baseball players, if you yell loudly in front of reporters and what you yell is interesting, it's going to be reported on. People forget that's how Watergate broke. Pete Rose screaming in the locker room about a telegram Nixon sent him. If what you yell is boring, it won't be mentioned ever again. If you don't want what you say to be publicized in game stories, you should yell things like, I recently discovered gas is eight cents cheaper at Sunoco. Or, you know what I've recently gotten into? Ginseng. Or, attaboy Harper, which honestly isn't even that interesting. Face it, you lost. You lost because you weren't good enough. And I'm happy to yell that if it helps. My thanks to Pudge Rodriguez, Curtis Granderson, Saks Underwear, and the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy. See you in two weeks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.